Hello, everyone. I'm Donna Bachlin, and I first have to give a shout out to my D group Emily, Julia, Madison, is Emma out there, Avery, Callie, hi. Well, it was my first week of middle school at Wyzetta East Junior High, and I had just come from a small, tiny private school. And going into a big school, I didn't really know anyone, which, which makes lunchtime very scary. Um, those first few days of school, I picked a group of girls and I sat with them. I didn't know them, I didn't really talk to them during that time, but I, I felt like I belonged because I had people around me. Well, toward the end of that first week, I walked up to the table with my lunch tray, and there was one empty seat, and they were the kind of circle seats that are fixed to the table. And so there's no way you could pull up another chair, and I went to sit down, and one girl said, um, you can't sit there, somebody else is sitting there. Uh, and everyone stared at me, and then they just continued to talk to each other. So I went and I sat by myself. Uh, very humiliating at that age. And the worst part was later that day, that same girl sat in front of me in my English class, and she turned around and she's like, you know, just so you know, nobody was actually going to sit in that seat. We just didn't want you to sit with us. I felt like I wanted to cry. It was terrible. And I thought, like, that's so mean. Why would you say that? You don't even know me. Well, that, um, well, okay, so the next week, I sat by myself the rest of the week because I didn't want to ask anyone if I could sit with them because I was super shy and I didn't want to be rejected again. But towards the end of that week, I was standing there with my lunch tray watching the hustle and bustle of the cafeteria and this girl walked up to me named Pam. She was in my math class. She said, would you like to sit with me and my friends? I was like, yes, please. So I sat with them and that group was my group of friends through the rest of middle school. And the reason I tell you this story is it's just one of many experiences um, like that that have shaped who I am. They've shaped um, my fears, my relationships, how I view other people, my insecurities. Um, and it's just what it was. And I grew up in Plymouth, so I had a pretty normal childhood. I grew up in Plymouth. As you can see, this is me. <laughs> I was the oldest, I still am, the oldest five kids. We were all born within seven and a half years, and my grandpa lived with us for six months out of the year, so we had a really busy household. These are my parents. Um, I love that picture. It's one of my favorites. It's the 70s, as you can tell. My dad had some awesome glasses going on, and that's my family. Um, my mom isn't in that picture, obviously, but um, we had religious tradition. So we had religious tradition in our house. Um, we went to church absolutely every Sunday, but we didn't have a Bible. Bible was never opened. I never, I never read it. I did not know what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, but there was a lot of love in our family. Uh, very redneck family. My dad was an auto mechanic until second grade, and then he and my mom started a very small, humble business. And um, my parents did all they could to provide for us. My dad plowed snow on the side. We, he cut firewood every fall, and as a family, we stacked a lot of firewood. I can build an amazing wall of firewood, and he would sell that 
for extra money, and he fixed cars on the side. Um, we didn't have a lot. I wore a lot of hand-me-downs from cousins. My mom made some of my clothes um, at dinner time. There are many days we didn't get seconds. What you got is what you got. If you didn't finish your food, it went in the fridge, and if you were hungry, that's what you got to eat later because that's all we had. Um, but my parents did a great job of creating security within our household. They, um, my dad, if we would ever complain about what we didn't have or what we wanted, he would say, you know what, kids? I may not be rich with stuff, but I am rich with love and family. And so that's what I grew up with. Um, <laughs> there's us. Like the 80s, I was in middle school there. Um, and here we are today. Um, they're my best friends. Absolutely my best friends. Um, they have been solid for me. My family is uh, a comfort. It was my safe place. But out in the world, it was just not super great for me. As a young girl in elementary school, I was picked on a lot because I wasn't super cool. I didn't have cool clothes. And the main thing that they picked on me about was that I was super little. Um, I'm still not super big, but really tiny person. And um, it made me feel even more small. And I, it was like I would go unnoticed, like I didn't want to be noticed because I was afraid of what somebody was going to say. I just wanted to be noticed for who I was and somebody to say something positive about me. Um, at about the age of 9 or 10, I started um, having issues with being short of breath. So my mom took me to the doctor thinking I had asthma. And the doctor said, uh, no, she doesn't have asthma. I think she just has anxiety. Well, I had never heard that word before. 30 years ago, it like, wasn't really a thing. People didn't talk about it. Um, my mom didn't talk to me about it. Uh, it just kind of was brushed under the rug, and we went about our lives. But she knew a lot of that came from school because she knew I was picked on. I'd come home crying and say, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. So they, they switched schools. They put me in this small little private school, um, middle of third grade. I have a picture. I think it's hilarious. Okay. Can you see me? I'm right there in the end. I'm like, what photographer puts the tiniest person standing in the back row next to all of these tall people? I just think it's really funny. That's kind of the story of my life. That kind of sums it up right there. Um, so that, that was a great place. We all wore uniforms, as you can see. So nobody judged me based on what I was wearing which was super great. I know you guys don't like uniforms, but I love uniforms. Um, middle school, so I moved on to middle school, back into the big fishing pond. Um, I had my little group of friends, like I said, but during that time of middle school, I really started developing a lot of anxiety and depression, and part of it was based on other situations that happened in middle school of just mean kids. Um, but I had anxiety, fear, and then I was developing this irrational, just this irrational fear where um, I, I would be afraid that I would think I'd have to do something or not do something 
in order for this person over here for them to not have something bad happen to them. I know it sounds very crazy, but it was my reality. It's a real thing for a lot of people. And I kept thinking, why is this happening to me? But I started learning through that time, <clears throat> hearing stories about family that this type of thing is like all through my extended family, anxiety, depression. You know, my great-grandpa uh, had a nervous breakdown when his kids were little and he could never work. Um, I had another great-uncle who had such extreme paranoia, he couldn't work. And I kept thinking, seriously, like this is in my family? Like is it being passed down to me? So I had that in the back of my mind. Um, so I moved on to high school. And high school for me was like light and dark. Um, there were a lot of mean girls. I have tons of stories. Actually, I'll tell you one really quick. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, first year of high school, I got a job, my first job. It was at uh, um, Dry Cleaners in Wyzetta. And like I've been working there a couple months and this other girl started working there and she was like the most popular girl in school. And this lady brought in a blazer, if anyone knows what a blazer is, back in that day, like, they were super cool. And uh, it was from Ann Taylor, so it was a very nice one. Lady brought it in, and, you know, then we would tag it and put it, like, in the bin. But when this lady left, instead of this girl, like, tagging it and putting it in the bin, she's like, this is such a cool blazer, I want it. And she went and she put it in her car. She stole it. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> what do I do? So I just thought, well, let's see what happens. So a couple weeks later, my manager comes up and he's like, you know, we have this blazer, this customer, we can't find it, and we know you were working. Um, did you take it? And I'm like, no. And she was really kind and smart in the way that she said, I know the other person who was working with you uh, goes to school with you, and I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position and ask you if she took it. And I was like, okay, thanks. Well, she ended up calling this girl's mom and had her look in her room, and it was in the girl's room. Well, <laughs> that girl spread rumors that I was an ARC, and I told honors to the rest of high school, like that whole group. It was super mean to me. Um, but I found cheerleading. Cheerleading was my thing. Like, I loved it. It was where I could be myself. Um, I was just super bubbly. My nickname was actually Bubbles. Um, we had, oh, I have a picture. Right there. Um, I cheered about every sport you could cheer. We were co-ed. As you can see, we have guys. We had a competition squad. We made it to nationals my senior year. We got to go down to Florida and compete at MGM Studios, which was a great thing to do your senior year. Here we are. It was like state or playoffs or something at the old Metrodome. So we were cheering there. Um, I was captain my junior and senior year, um, so I had all that going on, and on the outside, I was, like, super cheerful, like, front stage, here's who I am, but backstage, the inside of me, I was just dying inside. Um, I was still fighting anxiety, depression, this irrational fear, um, it led to uh, eating disorders, um, I got, like, just super addicted to caffeine pills. I don't even know if those are still a thing. But um, that, and I kept fixating on thoughts of suicide. I didn't like myself. Um, I had nobody to talk to. I didn't feel comfortable enough talking to my parents. Um, 
I didn't have awesome teachers like you guys have here that want to help you. Um, they maybe were out there, but I didn't know them. I didn't have a youth pastor. I didn't share this with, with anyone. I was just me and myself fighting my own demons. Um, so made it through high school, and year after high school, I met my husband. He's only 19, um, but he was a guy who would listen to me. He was super easy to talk to, and I, it's really funny that God brought the two of us together because you would never guess it, but uh, God had a plan. He knew we needed each other. But he would listen, and I started telling him everything that I dealt with. And I think that first year of our relationship was the most I have ever cried, and he stayed with me. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. Um, so we got married. Um, see. There we are. Um, super young. I was 22 when we got married. Um, so the next year I had my first son Oliver. So I had kids right away. Um, I was still dealing with everything I was dealing with. Um, but postpartum depression hit me hard. Like really hard. Um, it was the darkest time ever in my life. And I remember one night driving around and I parked outside the high school and I just remember like like itching or like scratching myself. Like I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get out of my skin. And I just didn't want to go on. I just wanted to die, but I couldn't because I'm like, oh, I have a kid now. Like I need to be a mom. He needs me. So I have to stay here on this earth, even though I didn't want to. Um, I also, during that time, well, when he was three months old, I went into the emergency room because I had a kidney stone. I don't know if anyone has ever had a kidney stone, but for any guys out there, I would say it's comparable to having back labor, like when you're having a baby. So if you ever have one, then you can sympathize with women. But anyway, uh, so that was terrible. But they, it w he's like, the doctor's like, just wait, it'll pass. Like, just wait. So I dealt with that for two months. So I had pain, but not, not that extreme pain. It was like more of a, a dull pain. And they gave me painkillers, which I loved, honestly. Um, but I had a baby, like a newborn, and I'm like, don't even want to be on earth, and I'm in pain, and I'm on pain meds. I was, I was a total mess. And here's a picture of me during that time. That's Oliver. If anybody knows Oliver, he graduated here two years ago. Um, I had this picture sitting out on the dining room table the other day, and my youngest son, Albert, saw it. He's like, Mom, why does your face look like that? <laughs> like, well... I wasn't doing so great. That, that was me trying to be happy and smile. Um, it, was, it was not super great. We'll not leave that picture up there too long. <laughs> so I had had this kidney stone for about two months. And some random people, now I, I want to mention, I didn't mention this about Brian, but in our, our picture, you could see the flowers in the background. We were married at the Como Zoo in the conservatory not with the animals, um, he refused to be married in the church. 
He was very against organized religion and was not a fan of Christianity or Christians and made it very clear that we will never raise our children in the church. We will teach them everything that they need to know. Um, and I kept thinking, hmm, I don't know if that's really right, but I was in love and thought, oh, okay, we'll figure it out as we go. Um, but so it's funny, we ended up going to this um, church service, just these random people invited us and we went. Um, I don't really remember much of the service because honestly, I slept through most of it because <clears throat> I was a mess. Um, but during that, they said, if anyone needs prayer, we have a prayer room open. If you need healing or anything, come see us. So Brian's like, yeah, they said this. I think you should go to this prayer room. So I went in there and this, these people prayed for me. And I like instantly felt relief from my pain. I physically felt different. And right then, God, and I know he does not answer prayers for everyone on healing, but first, he chose to heal me. And I believe that's how he chose to get my attention because I was like, wow, like, you just prayed that way? I said to the people, like, I had just never heard anyone pray like that. I'm like, you just pray like that to Jesus? Like, that's a different Jesus than I know. Well, talk about opening a door for a Christian. He shared the gospel with me. And he told me what it was to be born again and accepting Jesus into your heart and all that. And he said, is that something you'd like to do? And I was like, mm, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I, I turned him down, but he planted a seed. Um, fast forward six months later on September 11th of 2001. I'm sitting with Oliver on my lap, and we're watching TV, and there's breaking news. And I see these towers on fire and planes crashing into buildings. I'm like, what's going on? Where is this happening? And I realize it's like in New York. It's like here in the U.S. And uh, Brian called me. He's like, do you see what's happening? I'm like, yeah. And, and he's like explaining to me. And just sheer terror, it came over me. And I went, and I looked outside thinking, like, are there planes, are there missiles going to, like, come bomb us? Like, it felt like it was the end of the world was happening right then. I don't know if any adults out there remember that, if they were, like, super fearful, but I was. And Brian said, get out to my parents, meet me there now, because they live out in the country. So I got in the car, and I started driving, and I'm, like, <clears throat> looking around, you know, <clears throat> is anything going to come crashing down? And I remember thinking, like, what if I die right now? Am I going to go to heaven? I don't know. So I, I cried out to God right then. Okay, God, I give up. I accept Jesus. Like, I want to follow him. I know what he did for me. And that was it. I gave my life to Jesus right then in the car. <clears throat> but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't tell Brian. Um, I just kept it to myself. And I thought, okay. So now what? Now what do I do? So I got myself a Bible because I thought that's probably what you would do. And I actually read it. I started reading it. Um, I would watch TV evangelists. Uh, I know that's a little taboo sometimes, but I liked it. They were saying things I had never heard before. I had never heard Bible stories. Um, I found a mom's group at a large church, and I kind of would sneak in. And I'd sneak out um, because I had this, like, huge social anxiety because of all the experiences um, of my past. 
But what that lady was saying at that mom's group from stage, like, just spoke to me, and it taught me, and I was learning about Jesus and who he was. And um, now that I was, like, a Christian, I, I, I didn't, like, have all my problems go away. Like, I was still me. I still was dealing with my anxiety and depression and, like, just having a hard time getting out of bed some days. But something was different now now that I had Jesus. I didn't feel so alone. I didn't feel like it was just me anymore. I had a hope. I had this hope of tomorrow. I had a hope of I could be something better. Like, there's something beyond just today. And I had never felt that before. Uh, in 2006... We moved to the great town of Mayer. If anybody knows Mayer, the Mayer Crusaders, are they? Yeah, so we lived in Mayer. We didn't know anybody, and we had some, there's this lady in the neighborhood that I met, and she invited us to a book study. And I told Brian about it. I'm like, the book's called Love and Respect, and we looked it up, and it was a Christian book. He's like, oh, great, this is a group of Christians. Uh, but we'll go anyway because we wanted to meet people. We wanted to know other people in the neighborhood. And I kid you not, the first meeting, we're sitting there with all these couples, and they already knew each other. But we're introducing ourselves, and Brian says, and he told me I could say all this, by the way. I talked to him, and we laugh about it now. But he said, uh, just so all of you know, uh, don't invite me to your church because if you do, I ain't going. And I'm like, you were the Bachlins. <laughs> we just want to make friends. Um, but that was kind of his attitude, but we kept going because they were great people. But there was one couple, Jason and Katie. And Jason, even though he knew Brian's attitude, he pursued a friendship with Brian. They became buds. He didn't treat Brian any differently than anyone else. And it was good for Brian. It planted a seed to know, okay, there's Christians out there who aren't like holier than thou. And that like, care about me and aren't going to just try and convert me. He just wanted to be his friend for who he was. And Katie invited me to a homeschool group. So I homeschooled and uh, there was this mom's group and I experienced for the first time in my life what it was to be part of a Christian community. I had other women around me that believed in Jesus and they supported me. They knew my husband wasn't a believer. Um, but it was such a life-giving group to me. And, you know, Brian wasn't a believer, but I was teaching the boys about Jesus, and he was cool with us praying before meals and before bed and stuff. Um, and he worked for a family business. He worked a lot. He worked like 70 hours a week. And around 2008 and 2009, when there was the big economic crash, uh, it, like, just pummeled his the family business he worked for. Um, he went for eight months without a paycheck. And I took on a job part-time as a barista uh, just so we could have some grocery money because we had mouths to feed. We had, the th we had three boys now. Here's them at this age. I love it. It's my favorite picture of them. Um, it sums up their personalities. But I had these crazy rugrats to feed and I kept thinking okay God here we go like eight months this has been a long time and a letter came in the mail that our house was going into foreclosure it was a super dark time and 
I remember just like sitting in my closet in the dark and I'm crying. I'm like, okay, God, why is this happening? Like, I have been faithful to you. I have been raising our boys to know you, even though my husband isn't on board and I've been doing all this. Like, why is this happening? And through all of that, the one thing, I, after my prayers, I would just feel hope. You know, I was, I was angry at God. I was um, depressed, but I still had that hope. Um, so during this time, it was October, and I went to one of our mom's groups, and we were talking about Christmas traditions. And one lady said her Christmas tradition, that was her favorite, is the first thing she hung on the tree was a nail. And she talked about it like it was the most amazing thing and it had this special meaning to her. And that just stuck with me. And I went home and Brian's like, how's your meeting? And I told him and I told him about this nail. And I'm like, I want to put a nail in our tree. And he says, I don't think you should do that unless you really know what it means. And, you know, like he was kind of being snarky. So this nail became a topic of discussion for the next month. He'd be like, do you know what it means? To, what do we mean to you? And I'm like, no, I don't. And it kind of bothered me that I couldn't come up with anything. But here we are, like, going through foreclosure and all of this. Um, and so a month later in November, we're setting up our tree. And Brian's untangling the lights. And I'm, like, bending the fake branches so it looks like a Christmas tree. And sitting right there on a branch. I'm like, what is this? Pull it off. It's a big rusty nail just sitting there on the branch. And I'm like, Brian a nail in the tree. It's like, did you put that there? No, it's just sitting there. He instantly began to weep. I began to weep, and I literally felt Jesus in the room, and I could hear him saying, come for my lost sheep. It came for Brian, and partly for me too, but Brian gave his life to Jesus that day through a nail. It was like God had this little physical manifestation of a nail of all things. Now we have a red ribbon on it and it hangs on our tree every year. But we went on to, um, we lost, we lost our house. We lost both of our cars. Um, uh, we bought a, just an old beater minivan, which we were very grateful for. And the tiny 900 square foot house, one level, you couldn't go in the basement because it was always flooded and there's always mice. Ugh. But that year we lived there was the most peaceful time of our lives it was the sweetest time because we were now one flesh with Jesus. Like the way Jesus, or the way God intended for marriage to be. And our boys didn't care. They, they knew no difference. We were living in the country, and they loved that. Um, but the time came, like, okay, we need to find a church. And Brian was like, uh, church. And I was like, oh, social anxiety, right? So we went and we tried a church. First day, Brian went off and was walking around, and I'm in the corner, literally, like, by myself, feeling, feeling like this, like I can't talk to anybody. And this woman walks up to me, and she's like, hi, my name's Tia, and my husband and I are having a contest today to see who can meet the most new people. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they took us in. I have a picture of them. There's Pete and Tia. They took us in, and Pete taught Brian what it was to be a godly man, to be a godly husband, to be a godly father. Tia listened to all my problems. I was very transparent with her, told her who I was. She taught me that it was okay to not be perfect. It was okay to be mad at God sometimes. It was okay to be fearful. But she let me know that that wasn't my identity. Like, here's who you really are. 
they ended up moving, they ended up becoming missionaries and moving to Uganda, uh, blessing the people in Uganda. But she taught me to dig deeper into the word and really how to see myself. And um, Ephesians 2.10, I read it and it just resonated with me for you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. I'm like, really God, I'm your masterpiece? He's like, yeah. And by the way, I've been waiting for you and I've already prepared all these things for you to do in advance. Little special things I have for you. And I'm like, no, God, not me. Like, really? Like, I, I battled with him for four years on this. I'm like, I am not fancy. Um, I am not super educated. I'm messy. Like, how could you use me? And I kept hearing, like, the conversation God had with Moses where, he, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll be with you. Like, don't worry. Let's just do it, right? So I finally gave in and um, went to work with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And now I get to be in public schools, like helping people know Jesus. Like the very Donnas that, of today that are out there that didn't know, they don't know Jesus. And now that they can, they can maybe have the hope that I wish I would have had at that age. Um, I just want to let you know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. Doesn't mean life's going to be perfect. Um, I still suffer with anxiety and depression and irrational fear every day. Every single day I go through that. And I wake up and I have to set my mind right or it's going to go in 10 million different places. And I hit my knees and I thank God for another day because I know Jesus literally saved my life. If I would not have the hope that Jesus has given me, I would not be on this earth anymore. So I thank him for another day. I thank him for his love, mercy, kindness, and compassion. And then I go on the rest of my day, and I decipher between lies and truth, truth and lies, which is the voice of the enemy, which is the voice of God. And it's just, it's a constant battle, but I have Jesus. So I keep doing it. I'm my own worst enemy. Um, but Jesus is with me. There's days he's like, okay, Donna, come on, let's go. I'm here. Let's go. There's other days he's like dragging me, and then there's those days where we're just like walking side by side, and it's a pretty good day. But I know there's some of you out there that this may resonate with my story, and I just ask you to please tell somebody, ask for help, just find a friend or a teacher or a parent or somebody that you can talk to. For those of you out there who don't, you know, suffer from any mental anguish or anything like that, I say praise God. Like, that's super great. But I challenge you to notice other people. Notice people who are maybe quiet, who aren't like you, who are different, and say hi to them. Call them by name. Notice them. Make them feel welcome. Let them know that you can, like, actually see them. Notice them for something positive. Be, be a Pam to somebody. Be a Jason or a Katie or a Pete or Tia. Be that to other people. Be Jesus. Be what my friend Ted calls. Be, he says, be Jesus with skin on. I like that. And, you know, I have asked God, like, multiple times, like, 
Why do I have this? Why do I still deal with this? Can you please take it from me? He hasn't taken it from me. He's, I still deal with what I deal with. But I have decided that this may be one of the things he has given me. These may be one of the works he has prepared in advance for me. So I'm going to use, use it for his glory. Share this with people. Do what I can to help others. You know, I, Helen Keller is somebody who I think has really been through a lot. And she doesn't seem like she was much of a complainer. And she turned everything um, positive into what she did. And if I could just, like, have the attitude and keep the attitude that she had in this um, quote, it'll all be good. She says, I thank God for my handicaps, for it's through them that I found myself, my work, and my God. I'm going to pray for you. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that everyone here has had the chance to know who he is. Lord, I pray right now for any students or adults who are here, Lord, that may be struggling, that they seek help. I pray that you help them to know that they are your masterpiece. You created them to be a certain way for a certain reason, and it's okay that they are who they are. I pray for this body of students, Lord, to reach out to each other, to be united, to be patient with each other, to love each other. Lord, I pray for a special shield of protection around the school, Lord. I just pray that you protect the hearts and minds of everyone here, and I pray that these students can be a light for you out in the world, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and we love you, and it's in the mighty, sweet, holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.